Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible study in the book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 30 of Revelation chapter 3. And we're reading the end of verse 14 of Revelation 3, which declares, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And these are all statements concerning Jesus Christ. And he is the Amen. He is the faithful one. And he is the true witness. As we saw in our last study, that um, the Bible speaks of false witnesses being set up to testify against the Lord himself, and yet their witness did not agree together. And that's what made them false. A true witness will witness the truth. He will declare that which is accurate, that which is correct, and, and that which is trustworthy. And that is the nature of the Bible, the word of God. God's word is a true witness. And when we compare scripture with scripture, then the Holy Spirit witnesses with the spirit of God. And the two or three gathered together as we we go here and we go there a little in order to prove all things, in order to search the scriptures to see if something is so, then these declarations, these testimonies of God himself are confirmation to the truth of a doctrine. Or God will not testify to its trustworthiness. He will not testify that it is a true teaching. Or let me put it this way. When we have come up with an idea and and we've read a verse or maybe even a couple of verses, and then we try the spirits, we check that verse against everything else in the Bible at the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And, and if it does not agree, if their witness does not agree together, it is a false witness. And no matter how good we thought it might sound, no matter how much time and effort we put into it, it is not what the Bible says. It is not the testimony of Christ, and and it is to be um, gone away from. We're not to continue trying to insist that this is a, a teaching of, of the Word of God. Well, Jesus and the Word of God is the true witness. And also, he is the beginning of the creation of God. Again, this this whole statement is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so it is saying of him, he is the beginning of God's creation, of the creation of God. Now, you know, there, there are some uh, people that would certainly like to point to a verse like this and say, See, didn't we tell you that Jesus also was created? And notice he's he's the beginning of God's creation. Oh, very important creature himself. Yes, they like to think that Christ is chief of angels or or some chief created being, but anything that they they would acknowledge less than God, 
because some do not want to see Jesus declared to be eternal God. And of course, that would be the spirit of darkness that ultimately leads in that direction. It's not the spirit of of God himself, because the Bible insists and testifies and confirms as we do look to the witness of the scriptures that he is almighty, everlasting, eternal God in the flesh. He has the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and there's no doubt about it. And that means we have to examine the Bible to find out what is God referring to here, that Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God. If he's God, it means he has no beginning, doesn't it? He's from everlasting and goes to everlasting. How can Christ be the beginning of God's creation? Well, let's look at some verses and think about this. And let's start with Revelation chapter 1, which says in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Now that is uh, similar to what we just read in Revelation 3, uh, in verse 14, that that he is the true witness. He is faithful and true and the true witness. And, and so uh, this also is identifying Christ as the faithful witness. And then it says, and the first begotten of the dead and, and the prince of the kings of the earth and so on. Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. So this lets us know that he is first in something. And to be first, uh, it identifies with the beginning. It's the beginning of something. And Christ is the first begotten, the first begotten of the dead. Now, our verse in Revelation 3.14 said he was the beginning of the creation of God. Well, the, the word, the Greek word translated as creation is also at times translated as creature. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 it says there therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creature or a new creation old things are passed away behold all things are become new you're a new creation if you're born again you're a new creature it, it, you're part of god's new creation the old creation would be Adam and mankind that was created in God's image. But you're a new creature. You're you're created after uh, the Lord Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. And and after you were already dead in spirit, God resurrected your soul. He has plans to resurrect your body and you will be made totally new without sin and be given a new resurrected body a spiritual body it it will far surpass and and be far more glorious than our present earthly body and this is the new creature we we also read in the epistle of james in chapter one uh, where it says in verse 18 of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that's how 
God begats. That's how someone becomes begotten by the word of God. Um, his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures or of his creation. The, the children of God, the elect are first fruits of this new creature, this new creation God is creating. And the Bible also speaks of Jesus as the first of the first fruits. Again, he always has preeminence. He always is the beginning. He always is the one that, that has to be first. And we find in Colossians the solution the explanation of Revelation 3.14 statement that Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God. It says in Colossians chapter 1 in verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature or of every creation. That's, that's the word or, um, that, that we have, the same Greek word in our verse in Revelation 3. Jesus is the firstborn of every creature, the first begotten of the dead. He's the firstborn of all the new creatures of God. Because when did he die for for sin. When was Christ resurrected after paying the penalty for sin? Well, um, isn't it obvious? Uh, some people insist he died in 33 AD. Well, if he did, then he's not the firstborn from the dead because others died and were resurrected. And, and he, he would not be the the first begotten of the dead to be this firstborn new creature. Certainly others in the Old Testament prior to Christ's birth and entry into the human race were born again and became new creatures like David or, or Daniel or Joseph or Abraham or Jacob. These were saved men and new creatures. And, and if the Lord Jesus did not become this beginning of the creation of God, this this firstborn of every creature until 33 AD. He could not have been the firstborn of every creature. Many children of God, or a good number of them, from the thousands of years leading up to that point in history of the cross, would have received their their new souls and and become new creations long before Jesus died and and rose from the dead in 33 AD it's only when we understand that Christ died from the foundation of the world that's when the bible states that Jesus was the lamb of god the lamb slain from the foundation of the world as it says in revelation 13:8 that's when the works were finished, according to Hebrews chapter 4. And and Jesus, at that point, before the physical creation of this world and this universe was made, 
before the spiritual creation of all the new creatures in God were established and, and brought into existence. There was the Lord and he was burdened with the sins of his elect. They were laid upon him and then he paid the penalty that the law of God required, which was death. And Jesus died as the lamb, the sacrificial animal, bearing the sins of his people. And the law's demands were satisfied, and now the elect were guaranteed to become saved. But uh, even though Christ died, he still had to be resurrected. He had to rise from the dead. And we read, in Romans chapter 1, in Romans 1, it says of Jesus in verse 4, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was declared to be the Son of God once he rose from the dead. And then we find in Hebrews chapter 1 that it is as the Son that Jesus created the world. So he is the firstborn of every creature in the sense of creating this world, but also in the sense of the, the elect of God. He was the first to rise from the dead, the first begotten, the beginning of the creation of God, and all of those that he saved would follow in course according to the Lord's timetable in every generation for uh, finding these lost sheep and, and then recovering them, restoring their soul, and making them new creatures in Christ. Well, uh, let's go back to our study, Revelation 3.14, and then we're going to move into the next verse. In verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, uh, again, let's keep in mind that the Lord is addressing the church of the Laodiceans. It is the seventh church. In the book of Revelation, this is the seventh address. And at the end of each one of these addresses, what, what does he say? That he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, plural. Not just unto that particular church. God could have said it that way. He could have said, um, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. And uh, emphasize that I'm just speaking to the Laodiceans or I'm just speaking to the Philadelphians or to to the Ephesians or to the church that I'm addressing. But no, let him hear the one who has an ear what the spirit saith unto the churches. And this statement, yes, it applies to the Laodiceans, but it also applies to all churches throughout the many hundreds of years the many generations of the church age, the 1955-year period until its end, in the year 1988. And, and God is saying, look, I know your works. 
I know your works, that this has application, again, to many churches, individual churches, at various points in history, but also, finally, to the church as a whole, at the very end. I know the works you're involved in, that thou art neither cold nor hot. You're not cold and you're not hot. And I know this concerning your works. Now, works has to do with God's commandments. God commanded the church to go into all the world with the gospel. And God commanded that the gospel that be carried into all the world be faithful to his word and according to his stipulations and his commandments, that it be accurate and trustworthy. In other words, what he has said, the things that have come forth out of his mouth, that he has declared, these things were to be carried and not added to and not subtracted from. But God knows the works of the churches of the New Testament. He knows that they're not cold, in doing this, and they're not hot in doing this. Well, let's let's uh, try and find out what that means. What does that mean when the Lord says that thou art neither cold nor hot? Well, the way of finding out what it means is to check out those words. And the word cold is used in Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew 10, verse 42. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Oh, a cup of cold water. See, this is something very positive. This is a good thing. Because the cup of cold water is pointing to sharing truth faithfully. And according to uh, what God wills and and when we carry the message of the Bible and we warn people that sin brings the wrath of God and the Savior is Christ and so on, that this is uh, giving a cup of cold water. And so the word cold here has to do with bringing the gospel faithfully. And God knows that that they're not cold in Laodicea. They're not cold in the churches and congregations of the world. They're not bringing a cup of cold water to the the poor people of the earth. And and again, this was true at varying points throughout the church age of various churches and finally of the church as a whole. And also, God knows that they're not hot. They're not cold, and they're not hot. Now, we would think, naturally, that this is um, set in opposition to cold, because that's how it is. If you have cold water and hot water, they're opposite. You, you don't want to turn on the hot water and and uh, brush your teeth. You want to turn on the cold water. And it, you could get burned with the hot, but you cannot get burned with the cold. These things are contrary to each other in the natural world. And and so we would think that 
um, if cold is a good thing spiritually, and it is, as we saw with that verse, that hot must be a negative thing. But that's not the case. That's not the case with what God is saying here. The word hot is a Greek word, zestos, zestos, which is Strong's number 2200. And this word is derived from Strong's number 2204, zeo. And the word zeo is a word that's translated as fervent. In Acts chapter 18, let's go over there, Acts 18, we read of Apollos, and it says in verse 24, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Here, the word fervent, as it's describing Apollos and and his teaching, is a word that the word hot is derived from. And we can see that this is indicating um, um, a zealousness, an eagerness, a, a strong desire when someone is fervent. Apollos was a fervent man. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. And and that's what God is saying here to the church at Laodicea. Oh, uh, uh, I know that thou art neither cold. You're, you're not giving cups of cold water to little ones nor hot, you are not fervent for my word's sake. Remember that expression that I think most of us have heard it when you see someone excited and and zealous and eager and and sometimes it's a new believer and um, without fail someone will say, well, he's really on fire for the Lord. And actually... That expression has some merit because the word fervent is related to hot, to a burning. And, and when someone is on fire, they are, uh, they are diligent to share the things of God's word. And this is not the case with the New Testament churches and congregations. Again, true of Various churches throughout the many hundreds of years, the many centuries of the church age, and true of all churches finally at the end, that God knows they're not cold, they're not giving the the true gospel to his little ones, and they're not hot, they're not teaching diligently my word, They're, they're not going forth to seek and to find those lost sheep. They're not using their funds to pool together to send forth the gospel overseas, but rather they're using their funds to add on buildings and wings to their church. They're using their funds for other things to lay carpet and to get central air conditioning. And they're not using their money, their resources, their 
They're not putting forth diligent effort to get my word out, which is desperately needed. And it was during the time of the church age because men were dying. People were were dying under the wrath of God and being destroyed. And here we have churches and congregations. They're not cold and they're not hot. They They have no zealousness, no fervor, no... Um, diligent desire to share the gospel with people. You know, we could look at this and we, we could see God's people, the true believers, on the other hand. Well, they were cold in the day of salvation. God used them and they were hot. And as the Lord stirred that up within them to will and do of his good pleasure to share his gospel all over the earth. It, it, it's probably true that, um, the burning, the, the fervency of getting the gospel out as, as we moved, uh, in the direction of May 21, 2011, as we approached that day, probably burned hotter and hotter uh, to a degree the world has never seen. Well, here God says in Revelation 3:15, I, uh, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Well, this statement confirms that we're correct in our understanding that cold and hot are both positives, that both point to um, an aspect of getting the gospel out of sharing the word of God that the Lord is pleased with, because he would. That is an expression of his desire. It, it is something that God would have been pleased with. I would that thou wert cold or hot. And and God would not have been pleased if, if uh, either one of these was some sort of negative thing and an evil thing. Uh, no, it's only... When, when it is things that are according to his commandments that the Lord is pleased. Well, uh, Lord willing, when we get together in our next Bible study, we'll continue on looking at Revelation 3 and also at what God says next, that they are lukewarm and that he will spew them out of his mouth.